Good morning, church family. It's just a blessing to get to worship with you this morning, get to sing praises to our Savior together. And that's what we've come here to do. We've come here to make Jesus famous. And uh, worship for us is not just about a song. That's one way we worship. Uh, But worship in the gathering like this is for us to be able to come together as the people of God, to be able to encourage one another through teaching, through speaking, through singing. And so whether you're a good singer or a bad singer, when you're standing there and you're singing praise and glory to God, it's encouraging and it's affirming to the person next to you as we wrap our hearts and our minds around the truth of God's Word. That's one of the beautiful things of getting to gather together every single week. We get to come and praise Him together through the reading of the Word and the singing of the Word and also through praying together. Worship is not about just coming in a room and doing what we do. Worship is expectation. Hopefully, it's something that we've been doing all week long as the people of God, and we bring that corporately together. And so one of the ways that we can continue to praise Jesus is by praying. And one of the great honors that you and I have as a family is we get to pray for one another. And so as we dive into the Word, and we're going to be in John chapter 6, if you have a Bible, you can begin moving that direction. I just want to pray for us again, but I want to ask that you pray with me, not just listen to me pray. And I want to ask that you pray for the person next to you, to your right or to your left, whether you know them or not. And just ask that God would just speak to them this morning through the Holy Spirit, open their eyes to see Him. And so we, as the body, get the privilege of praying for one another. I'm going to pray for you, and let you pray for one another as well, ask that God would meet us here. Let's pray. Father, we come and we need you. You are the great I am, the God who is, the God who was, the God who will always be. Greater than all other things in this world, in this universe, you are the one true God and we praise you as that. And you're not a God who's remote and distant and far away. You are a God who's chosen to be known, the God who became flesh who died in our place, who has power over all. So we proclaim that this morning. We worship you this morning. You are holy. Be made holy this morning. You are holy. Be made holy through our lives as we leave this place this morning and go back to our homes and our workplaces. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Not our kingdom come. Not our will be done. But let yours be done in and through our lives. Pray that over my brothers and sisters this morning. Pray you'd help us to see you. I pray that you would give us eyes to see who you really are, that you would help us to see our labor and that we would labor for you, that you'd help us to see the hunger and needs inside our soul, that we'd be satisfied in you because you are the bread of life. What we are not, we ask that you'd make us. We have not, we ask that you give us. We need you. We pray that we would decrease and you would increase this morning. I pray that Whatever is known in this room, in our study groups, in our kids' groups, in our student groups this morning, there'd be nothing known more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified put on display. Pray for my brothers and sisters. I know many walk in this room carrying heavy weights, burdens, brokenness. Even some don't know you who are here this morning. I pray that this morning you'd meet us where we are. God, we need you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
We're continuing on in the story this morning. We're in the New Testament. If uh, you're not reading with us, I encourage you to jump in. If you have been reading, we're going through the Gospels. And so we've spent a lot of time over the last several months looking at the Old Testament, looking at the promises of a rescuer, promises of a Savior, God's people, their sin, their rebellion. We've seen how that relates to us. And now we're kind of diving into the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and what that means for us today. And so this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 6 and kind of the first of the I am statements of Jesus Christ. And so again, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have one, there's one in the seat in front of you, that pew area. Grab it. That's a gift. We want you to be able to have a copy of God's Word. So John 6, flip to it, turn your Bible on, whatever you're using this morning. Uh, We are going to start in verse 22. There's so much here, but we're going to kind of limit it as much as we can. Verse 22 Uh, on the next day, on the next day, and just to kind of catch you up since we're not reading the first part of this, the day before is a very busy day in the life of Jesus and the disciples. It began with uh, Jesus being on the mountain. He's teaching, uh, and the disciples are there with him. And as he's teaching, over 5,000 men come to hear him speak, hear him teach God's word, God's law. And we know because it was a patriarchal society, that's how they counted things back then. So scholars tell us that there was easily over 20,000 people present on this mountain just to come hear Jesus speak, just to come hear him teach. And so they're coming to hear the word. And and Jesus sees that they have a need. They have a need for food. They don't have food with them. They didn't come planning to spend all day hearing his teaching. That's just what happened. And so Jesus tells the disciples, hey, you need to go buy bread. And like, we can't do that. So Jesus, helping the disciples see who he is, performs this miracle where he feeds the 5,000 loaves and fish. That'll be very important for what we're going to read in just a minute. And in fact, there's 12 baskets worth that are left over. Everyone eats their fill. And those 12 baskets, they represent the 12 disciples. That this lesson was as much for the disciples as it was for the people, helping them see who Jesus really was. And it says that people were so enamored with the miracle that they wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force. They wanted him to become their king, become their ruler, because he gave them physical bread. So Jesus removes himself to the mountain to pray. And just kind of as an aside for us, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, uh, if Jesus needed to go to the mountain to pray, and he did this many times throughout his ministry, how much more do you and I need to pursue God through prayer? God through the word. You'll see that all throughout the Gospels. Jesus went alone. Jesus went to the mountain to pray. Jesus rose early to spend time with the Father. We need that too, brothers and sisters. And so while he's on the mountain praying, the disciples, they head across the lake. This massive storm comes up. They're afraid the boat's going to sink. And Jesus comes walking on the water. Could you imagine that? Jesus gets into the boat and doesn't say anything about the storm stopping. It doesn't say anything about that in this account. All it says is Jesus says, I am. Do not fear. And so the miracle of the bread is now meaning the miracle of nature. And Jesus is helping the disciples to see that he's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the I am that we just sang about. And so on the next day, verse 22, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat there. And Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they'd eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And that's a theme that runs all throughout the book of John. This idea of seeking Jesus, seeking Jesus. We are called to seek him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I think something that's very interesting here that's important for us, just kind of as an aside. They come to Jesus with questions, and Jesus does not answer their question. Instead, Jesus goes at their heart. Friends, a lot of us have questions. Jesus is less concerned about our questions. He's more concerned about our heart. Sometimes Jesus doesn't answer our questions because our questions aren't the most important thing. Jesus is going after their heart. Jesus is going after your heart. You have questions. It's good to have questions. It's not wrong. God cares about your questions, but he cares more about your heart than understanding everything around the circumstances that are happening. God is pursuing you, not your answers. And that is good news this morning. Verse 26, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. So Jesus is going after their heart. You're not coming after me because you think I'm the Son of God. You're coming after me because of what I gave you. Do not work, verse 27, for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. When someone set a seal, a lot of times it would be a ring and you would put it in wax and set it on an envelope or a document. It showed authority. Jesus is saying the authority of the Father is on my life in ministry. He is the one my power comes from. Verse 28, when they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So they said to them, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What sign must you do that we see and believe? They'd seen demons cast out. They'd seen the lame walk. They'd seen sickness leave. They'd seen the loaves come. They'd seen the miracle of the storm. And yet they look at Jesus and say, what will you do to prove to us who you are? Some of us walk in this room with some... Maybe even you're not a Christian and you're trying to understand all this and figure out and you have questions. Maybe you're even kind of skeptical of this. What sign do you need? What, what do you need to see? Jesus says it's not about the signs. It's about the Son. It's about seeing who I am, not what I'm doing. The signs were to point to the Son, not the signs being for the people. The signs were always meant to show them who He really was. Verse 31, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. And this dialogue, it's much like the one in John 4. If you've been reading through the story, you know Jesus met the woman at the well, and he begins speaking to her, and they have this conversation about water, and water that lasts into eternal life, and that if you drink of this, it'll never thirst again, just like the bread that Jesus is talking about here. And then Jesus begins to press on the woman, and talk to her about her sin, and her husband's. And what does she do? She flips the conversation to religion. 
you guys say, you, you Jewish people say that it's on this mountain that you're supposed to worship. We say, our forefathers say this. Well, this is exactly what the people are doing. Jesus presses in on their heart, on their motive, and they say, well, Moses did this for our forefathers. And Jesus shows them clearly, Moses didn't provide the food for your fathers. God did. The true father did. You're, you were missing it. And for us this morning, church, I just want to lean into this. This is what's been convicting me this week is they see but they can't see. Like the good news is in front of them. The truth is in front of them but they cannot see it. And the danger for you and me this morning is we walk in here knowing some about God's word and knowing kind of what this is about and we say yeah I get it and I'm a Christian I understand and we move on and we miss what God is trying to show us this morning. That we see but we don't we don't really see. Verse 35, and this is the crux of the passage. Everything revolves around this verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For the sake of time, let's look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will Raise him on the last day. How many of you who've ever had something in your life that did not meet the expectations that you had for it? Anybody ever come in with expectations that were kind of not delivered upon? Good, more in this service than the last service who were being willing to admit it. So that's, that's awesome. We all understand that, okay? That we have expectations about something and it doesn't come out the way we were hoping it would come. Uh, for me, one of those, and I've had many of those moments, uh, was in high school. I was getting ready to turn 16, and I was going to get my first car. Get the driver's license, get the car, get freedom. It's going to be awesome, right? And so I was excited about that day, excited about what was going to happen. My parents were going to help me get a car. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was like, if I just get this ride, it's a nice ride. It'll, you know, my friends will want to you know, come like, cruising with me, and maybe a few girls want to come cruising with me too. And so I kind of had my expectations of what this would be. And then I got home one day. The car was there, and it was a 1992 Ford Tempo, Okay. And some of you are old enough to know what a Ford Tempo is, some of you don't. It's an ugly car, it's a little car. Uh, it was kind of an off-white, ugly white exterior with literally red velvet cake interior. Like red velvet everywhere. Big ghetto speakers hanging out the back that didn't work. Tape, cassette, you know, bumps, dings, scrapes, bullet holes, you can imagine it. It's just there. It was not like the popular mobile, okay? And I've never, literally, I've never washed and waxed a car so many times, but it did not help. (laughs) And so I was excited to get a car, and it didn't mean freedom, but it didn't quite meet the expectations that were there. It didn't quite provide what I was hoping it would be. You and I, we felt that. Maybe for some of you, that's like a haircut. Like, you're excited to get this new look. I'm going to get this new look, and it's going to be awesome. And you walk out and like, what have I done? You know, or maybe it's some sort of product that you thought was going to change your life, make things easier, and it broke a few days later. Maybe it was a relationship. If I just marry this person, or I date this person, or I'm with this person, or I get into this group of friends, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll have peace. And they let you down. They broke your heart. They stabbed your back. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was something that you were working toward. If I can just get this position, 
then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. If I, if I just can get this amount of money, then I can retire when I'm 45 and get to play golf and do all these different things. And it wasn't what you hoped it would be. It didn't meet the need that was inside of you. And this is the point of six, uh, John six thirty-five. This is the point of this passage. There is life. There is satisfaction. There is hope. But it's only found in Jesus alone. And if you're looking and striving and working and hungering and all these different things anywhere other than Christ, it will fall short. It will let you down. And so the big idea this morning, the bottom line is this. Resting in the bread of life satisfies the weight of our hunger. It clarifies the reality of our labor. And it overcomes the barrier to our sight. How? Through the hope of Savior. Resting in the bread of life, coming to the bread of life. It satisfies the weight of hunger that we feel in our souls. We're going to talk about what is that hunger. It clarifies the reality of our labor. Everyone in this room is working for something today. You're working towards something. You're putting your effort, your energy, your emotion, your desire into something today. It overcomes the barrier of our sight, our ability to see who God actually is. And it happens through the hope of the Savior. And so this morning, we just have these questions. What is the weight of our hunger? What is the reality of our labor? What is the barrier to our sight? And these are three things that every single human being in this room feels this morning. So let's just look at these together that we see within our text. The first is this. We see the weight of our hunger. The weight of our hunger. What is the weight of our hunger? As you're reading through this passage, especially if you'd read the whole thing, you see that one of the most common threads and themes here is food. Loaves, bread, hunger, all these kind of things. You're like, yeah, I'm hungry. If you just hurry up, we could get out of here, right? And go, go eat lunch. So what is the deal with hunger? In verses 5 through 8, Jesus and disciples, they have a conversation about buying bread and the people needing sustenance. In verses 9 through 15, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with plenty to spare. Verse 23, the location of the miracle is designated not by where it actually took place, but by the bread that was actually there. Verses 26 through 27, Jesus points out that the reason the people love him is because he fed them bread. He tells them instead to pursue spiritual things. Verses 31 through 34, the people shift the conversation to Moses and their forefathers eating the bread in the wilderness. You might say, well, what's all that about? Well, a lot of people in this time, they thought that Jesus was the second Moses. He'd come to be like Moses. And Moses, if you'll remember, gave manna from heaven, but it wasn't a one-time event, right? It was every day. For years and years and years, that's how the people were fed. And so they're coming to Jesus and saying, if you are who you really say you are, be like Moses, give us bread every single day. And Jesus says, it's not Moses who gave you the bread. God gave you the bread, and God has sent the true bread to you today. They were hungry, but they were hungry for the wrong things. And every single person in this room, we come in with a weight of hunger in our soul, wanting something to satisfy who we are. Jesus reveals himself to be the bread of life. Bread is fundamental to survival. Bread in this culture was one of the primary sources of income. 
Bread and hunger are spiritual realities. So three realities about the weight of your hunger and my hunger and their hunger as we come to this place. The first is this. God cares about our needs. God cares about our needs. God cares about your needs this morning. He knows your needs. He cares. Jesus didn't have to heal the blind. He didn't have to heal the sick. He didn't have to feed the 5,000. That's not why he came to do those things. He came to die on a cross, and yet he still did those things. Why? Because he loves people. He knows our needs. God cares about our needs. But he came to heal a greater need than the needs that a lot of times we often see as being our most important need. That leads us to the second reality. Our physical needs always point to a deeper spiritual need. Look at verse 26 and 27. Truly I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures, which the Son of Man gives to you. Our physical needs in this life that God cares about always point to a deeper spiritual need within our soul. We were created for God. And so if you come in this morning, you come in with brokenness, you come in with emptiness, you come in with hunger, you come in and you've been trying to fill it with all these different things, those things will not satisfy your hunger. We have a weight of hunger. It's a hunger of the soul. That brings us to the third reality. Our deepest hunger can only be satisfied in God. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Our deepest need, our deepest desires, our deepest hunger can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. Your marriage isn't going to do it. Your relationship's not going to do it. Your job's not going to do it. Your grades aren't going to do it. Getting that type of career when you graduate college is not going to do it. Getting to retirement and getting away from your job is not going to do it. Getting grandkids is not going to do it. Having a straight-A student or well-rounded, good, Instagrammable child is not going to do it. Those things will not satisfy your soul. And if you try to put all of your effort into feeding those things, you will be empty. You see, this is the danger us Christian not Christian we look at the product and we miss the person the people saw the bread they saw the product they saw what Jesus was producing they missed the giver of the bread they missed the person and you and I will spend our whole lives running after the products you can even come to church and run after the products you can run after the event after the service after the emotion and miss God himself We have a weight of hunger that can only be satisfied by the Lord. Jesus is the treasure, not his gifts. Jesus is the one we are to hunger for. So we see the weight of our hunger, but we also see the reality of our labor in this passage. What is the reality of our labor? Well, look in verses, and this is uh, so cool to me. This has been such a challenge. Verse 26, in these four verses, you see the word labor five times. So if you're an underliner, circler, this is a great place to jump in because this is really important to us. Verse 26, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27, do not work. There's the first one. The word there means labor. Do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures. So it's understood, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. 
Verse 28, they answered and said to him, What must we do, work is the same word there, what works must we do to do the work of God? There it is again. So Jesus says, labor for that which does not perish. They say, well, what labor must we do for God? So stop there for a second. Jesus is saying, work for eternal life. Does that mean that Jesus is saying that there's something that you and I can do on our own, apart from God, to be saved? No, right? We know throughout Scripture that's not true. So what, what is Jesus saying? If, if he's saying labor for eternal life, and we know that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot erase our sin, we cannot be good enough, we cannot try hard enough, what is the labor that Jesus is saying? And thankfully, he tells us. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the labor of God. What is it that you believe? The labor, the work of God is a labor of faith. It's not a labor to do something for God. It's not a labor to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps. It's not a labor to be good enough for Him, to try to erase our own sin. It is a labor to believe His faith and in faith obedience in light of faith. So they said to him, what sign will you do that we may see and believe? Or what labor, what work will you perform? They don't get it. Still don't get it. The theme of labor is all throughout these verses, and here's some truths for us, realities about labor. The first is this, everyone is working for something. Every single person in this room is working for or working toward something. You're laboring, you're putting effort, energy, emotion, time into something, something that hopefully will feed your soul. The people, they were laboring, but they were laboring not for what would feed their soul, but what would feed their stomach. And so we see the trap. They're they're looking at the product instead of the person, but they're working towards something that will not last. We are all laboring, we are all working for something. So this is the second truth. If your labor is to satisfy your own soul on your own terms, you will die unsatisfied and empty. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. What are you laboring for? What are you working toward? What are you putting your time, your effort, your energy? What is worth your life? What are you fighting for today? Let's, say, let's talk about what this is not saying. This is not saying, Jesus is not saying that everyone in this room who's a Christian should go quit their job and stop working for a job and instead like go be a missionary. That's not what he's saying. All throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, we see the value of work the value of occupation. God has given that as a good gift. The difference is, are you working? Do you have a job? Are you doing school for your glory, your success, your stuff, your status, or for the glory of God? Are you laboring for that which is eternal, which lasts? Are you working so hard and pouring all of yourself into something that will not endure to the end? Everyone in this room is working towards something, but what are you working for? What are you laboring to get? Laboring for God is not about doing something to earn His approval or acceptance, but instead to believe and obey the Son. 
Laboring is not about doing something so God will love you. It's about out of your love for Him, you trust the Son. What are you laboring for today? We can work so hard, so hard to try to put our purpose in what we do, to find our joy and our hope in what we do. We can do that to our kids, moms and dads. We work so hard to find their success and our success through their success, but the whole time we're pointing them to something that doesn't last. What are you laboring for? What am I laboring for? These people, they were laboring for that which does not last at all. It's a labor of faith. So we see the weight of our hunger, we see the reality of our labor, but then thirdly, we see the barrier to our sight. This is the other phrase, this is the other tie that goes all throughout this passage. Verse 2, a large crowd follows Jesus because they saw the signs that he did. Verse 14, they want to make Jesus king because the signs they saw. And here is the question mark. This is what's so important for us to understand. Verse 26 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. So verse 2 says, the crowd followed because they saw the signs. Verse 14 says, the crowd wanted to make him king because they saw the signs. Then they show up to Jesus and Jesus said, you're not following me because you saw the signs. You have not seen the signs. Somehow they're seeing, but they're not actually seeing. It goes on. Verse 30, they want to see a sign that they might believe. They've seen all these signs, but still they want more. Then verse 36, Jesus says, You have seen me, and yet you do not believe. In verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Anyone in here have 20-20 vision? Like, you have perfect eyesight. Anybody willing to admit it? Maybe a couple of you. All right, well, for everybody else in this room, like, we don't like you. Like, that's no fun. We don't like you. That's not who we are. The rest of us, we wear glasses, contacts, or we just live in denial and put other people in danger when we drive, whatever, whatever it is. When I was in high school, um, I began to have a hard time in the classroom when I'd sit in the back deciphering what was on the board. Some of that was because my professors had bad handwriting, but I began to see there's other things going on too. Like, I'd be driving and I'd see a road sign. I really couldn't make out the name, especially at night. Or I'd go to Chick-fil-A and I couldn't really read the prices. And so I went to the optometrist and checked out my eyes. And sure enough, um, my eyesight was not 20-20 and I needed glasses. And so I got glasses and everything changed, right? I could now read the menu at Chick-fil-A. I could now read the chicken, chicken scraps on the board. Um, I could go outside, and instead of seeing grass, I saw blades of grass. Instead of seeing a tree with leaves, I saw the individual leaves. If you know what I'm talking about, you, you get me in this. It's like a whole new world opens up. This is the point, what Jesus is trying to say. The people saw but they didn't see. They saw the miracles, they saw Jesus, but they didn't see Him as Savior. We can see, but not have sight. You and I can see, but not have sight. 
For some of us in this room this morning, we come in seeing but not having sight. Or we can lose focus as believers. And just like Peter on the waves took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink, sometimes as us as Christians, we take our eyes off of our Savior, off of our treasure, off of the prize. We look at the wind and the waves, the circumstances, and we began to seek because we've stopped seeing. We've stopped looking. We've stopped savoring who God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, seeing saves, beholding is becoming. When we see God for who He really is, it helps us see ourselves for who we really are. Beholding is becoming. Seeing saves. When you see the sun, you see your need. When you see the sun, you see your life. When you see the sun, you see the treasure. Do you see Him? Do you see him for who he is? Do you see that he is your hunger that you've been trying to satisfy? Do you see that he is the labor that you need to believe in, that you work so hard for? He is the one who's come to rescue. He is the bread of life. Saving faith is more than just seeing Jesus as a good teacher, a prophet, or even God himself. Saving faith means seeing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Seeing Jesus means seeing Him as Savior and Lord. Even the demons believe Jesus is God. That is not saving faith. Saving faith is seeing Him as Savior, as worthy, as your all in all, as everything, as the priceless treasure. Have you seen Him? Have you seen Him that way? He is the one that your soul craves. He is the one that we're to labor for. He's the one that we give our life for because He is the priceless treasure that's worth your life and my life. Do you see, church? Do you see, family? I've seen. When I was nine years old, for the first time, God opened my eyes to see my sin and to see my Savior and to see my need for Him. And I was not worthy of that at all. But for some reason, God let me see and my eyes were opened and I believed. And I see, I I want to see Him more. I want to know Him more. I don't want to try to fill my hunger with my wife or with my kids or with my job or with my success because I know those things are empty. I don't want to labor for those things. I want to labor so that others can see Jesus. I want to labor so that God's glory can be put on display because He is the Son who saved my life. So if we understand our hunger, if we understand that we're laborers, and we understand we have a need to see how do we make those things happen, and the only way it happens is through the hope of the Savior. Said from the very beginning, Resting in the bread of life satisfies the weight of our hunger. It clarifies the reality of our labor. That God has given us something to labor for. We labor to believe and we labor so that others might believe. It overcomes the barrier to our sight. When we see Him as the bread of life, it removes the scales from our eyes so that we can see Him for who He truly is. And it happens through the hope of the Savior. And again, the key word and the key text as we come to a close is verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Everything you're hoping for, everything you're looking for, everything you need, I am. And that word I am is not an arbitrary usage of this word. 
I am was the name that God revealed himself to his people. Exodus chapter 3, Moses at the burning bush, he asked God, who will you have me tell the people who you are? What is your name? And God says for the very first time, I am that I am. I am that I am. I am the one true God. I am. And now, thousands of years later, Jesus steps on the scene and says, I am is here. God is here in the flesh. God is here in the flesh to rescue us. Do you see it? Do you see him? In our longingness, in our emptiness, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. In our darkness, in our confusion, and some of you, this is where you come today, just confused, you're dark, you don't know what to do in life. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. For some, you are hopeless. You come in and with a smile on your face, but inside you don't know if there's any hope for what's going on in your life. Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go find pasture, good pasture, hope, good life. Not easy life, not a life without difficulty or pain, but a life that is good and satisfying. In our brokenness, and some of you, that's where you come this morning. There's deep hurt in your life this morning. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. In our deadness, spiritually, Jesus says, I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. The death of death in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. In our failed attempts to get to God, to earn his love, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way. And in our unfaithfulness and in our searching, Jesus says, I am the vine. Abide in me and I in you, that you may bear fruit. I am has come. This morning, I said at the very beginning of our time together, every single person enters with hunger, each of us. A hunger of the soul. Church, what are you trying to satisfy it with? Everyone comes in this room laboring for something. What are you working for? What are you trying to earn? What, what is your labor? What is your effort? What are you pouring yourself into? What is it? Is it worth your life? Everyone comes in this room saying, but do we really have sight? Has the barrier to seeing Christ, has it been removed? Is he your joy? Is he your glory? Is he your life? And you see him as the treasure that he is. I am is here this morning. Would you bow your head and you close your eyes? We're going to respond this morning through song and through the table. Head bowed and eyes closed. For some this morning, you may not have ever seen Jesus as Savior. You have a hunger that you've been trying to satisfy. You have a work that you've been laboring to satisfy that hunger, but it is never, never quench the hunger and thirst of your heart. And you've been seeing, you know about God, you know about church, but you've never seen Christ. 
as your only hope, as your joy, as your treasure. He's only been the product. He's not been the person. He's not been the object of your hope. But this morning, you see, God has opened your eyes to see that your greatest need today is not a better job, it's not a better spouse, it's not better children, it's not a better life situation. It's Jesus. He is the bread of life. He's the only one who satisfies. He is the true water. Believe in Him. Come to Him. Rest in Him. And you will have life. You can do that this morning. For some of you, God is working that into your heart right now. And I'm just going to pray for you that God would do that work. And in a moment when we dismiss, if you'll go out the doors to the left, the hub, I'm there, others are there. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Don't leave without doing that. For others, you're here this morning and you are a Jesus follower. You're a Christian. And you have been trying to fill the hunger of your heart with something other than Jesus. You've stopped laboring for faith, started laboring for something other than Christ. Your sight has gotten blocked by a person, by a thing, by hidden sin. That you've set your gaze, you've set your heart, you've set your desire on. It is a dead inroad. It's a broken pot that cannot contain water. And the call this morning is to respond and to repent and to turn to Jesus, the bread of life, to taste and see again that He is good. That might need talking to someone and confessing a sin. That might mean making your chair or this front an altar and just giving yourself back to the Lord. Come to the Father. Come to the Son. He came to you. He came to rescue. Return to Him. I long for the day when our church will be that kind of church that we see the Son for who He is and we give all that we are and all that we have for Him because He is the priceless treasure that is worth everything pray for that for my own heart. I pray for that for my own children. That would be their story and I pray for that for you. Father, I pray that this place, brothers and sisters, that we'd be men and women who see you are the bread of life. That we would taste and find you most satisfying. And that we would labor in faith and obedience to rest in you. For those in this room who don't know you, I pray that this morning you'd pursue them and open their eyes. That you would make them miserable in their sin and see that you are what they've been searching for their whole life. I pray that you do that this morning. As we respond, we pray that you'd be glorified. In your name I pray.